You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon. We turn to a number of passages. First of all, Exodus chapter 35. These passages have been chosen with a view to the theme for this afternoon's sermon, which is about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We turn first then to Exodus chapter 35, verse 30, and we read to the first verse of chapter 36. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Hishamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers. All of them master craftsmen and designers. So Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Now we turn to Psalm 104, verses 27 to 30. And the psalmist, under the guidance of the Spirit, writes, These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. And then finally we turn to Isaiah 32, 14 to 18. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, the pasture for flocks, till the spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. Justice will dwell in the desert, and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Then we turn this afternoon to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he's also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the bold heading above Lord's Day 20 tells the story. We are into a new section of the Heidelberg Catechism, and it is called God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. 
And so it is that today we begin to concentrate on the person of the Holy Spirit and his unique contribution to the matter of our salvation and life. And that, as some of you know, represents a whole new chapter in God's great unfolding work of redemption. And so not just a new chapter, but also, one might add, a controversial chapter. For here it seems there are many questions that arise. Who precisely is the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit actually do? And what about miracles and tongue-speaking and ongoing revelation? And what about us as believers in our daily lives? This is an arena in which disagreements, beloved, flourish. Unfortunately, churches split and emotions rise. For the Holy Spirit has become in our time the spirit of confusion and of controversy. And as a result, it may be beneficial to spend some added time in the coming weeks dealing with both the person as well as the work of the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? After all, Lord's Day 20 is rather short. And as a matter of fact, for our purposes, I might add, it's too short. For look, it sums up the Spirit's person in one short sentence. And as for his work, it gets one sentence as well. It's a bit longer than the first sentence but no more. And as for controversy, what controversy? There is not a whiff of any controversy in this particular answer or question whatsoever. All is quiet, all is calm, all is peaceful. Obviously, when the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism were considering the work of the Spirit and the person of the Spirit, peace and unanimity Reigned. But no longer, as we said, much has changed. So under the umbrella of Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we are going to elaborate and expand our treatment. But where shall we begin? Well, how about in that place where most things begin when it comes to the Christian faith? Namely, the Old Testament. Did you say the Old Testament? What does the Spirit have to do with the Old Testament? And where is the Spirit in the Old Testament? Is He even there? You see, beloved, already we have a problem here. For there are many in the Christian church who assume that the Holy Spirit was absent from the Old Testament and really didn't make an appearance until it comes to the New Testament. But that's a myth, or better yet, it's a mistake, a huge mistake. And to see that, I would like to preach to you this afternoon on the following theme, the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament. We shall consider his work in God's creation, his work among God's servants, his work for God's people. 
Well, beloved, you have to wonder about those who declare that the Spirit cannot be found in the Old Testament. And I say that not to be nasty, but to my surprise. For if you turn to the first page of the Bible, to the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, even the very first verses of the Bible, what do you read? You read this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here the writer of the book of Genesis writes about the Spirit of God, literally the wind of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God, and describes him as hovering. What does that mean? Well, it means, beloved, that right from the very start, the Spirit was there. And the Spirit was active. Hovering, standing still almost, being above, watching, supervising, surveying all things. And indeed, when the scripture says that God created everything, it says that he did so by the breath of his mouth. Consider Job 26, verse 13. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his breath, the skies became fair. Or what about Psalm 33, verse 6? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Yes, and that breath in turn, is often linked with, identified with, and tied to the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can say, God used the Spirit to create everything. The heavens, the seas, the stars, the earth, are all made by God and the great Creator Spirit of God. Why, we can even go further and become more personal. For as well, you and I, and also this baby baptized here this afternoon, all of us, in a sense, owe our life to the Spirit. But think about it. How were we made in the beginning? Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed the man, or the human, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. You see, both that breathing and that breath cannot be divorced from the person as well as the power of the Holy Spirit. Somehow also the Holy Spirit has had an intimate hand in the creation of life. We're all the handiwork of God. And the fact that we live means that we possess the breath of the Spirit. 
But then, beloved, if the Spirit was involved with creation generally, and our creation in particular, it has to be said that he is also equally involved in its continuance and its maintenance. For the Spirit also sustains everything. Read, for example, Job 34, the verses 14 and 15. If it were God's intention and he withdrew his spirit and breast, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. What about Psalm 104, verse 30? When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. Together what these verses teach us is that if God was to take back his breath, his spirit, creation would collapse. And for us it would be back to the dust. And in addition it underlines the fact that without the spirit there is no way that life here on earth is able to continue much less to flourish. Everything depends. Everything living depends on the Spirit. And elsewhere in Psalm 139, the question is asked by the psalmist, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And on the surface it sounds as if David the psalmist wants to get away from God. And he wonders whether or not there is a place in the universe or in all the created realm where God is not present, where God is absent. And the resounding answer is there is no such place anywhere. Go to the heavens, and he's there. Go to the depths, and he's there. Go east, go west. He's there. The Spirit of God is everywhere. Oh, and how thankful all of us should be to know this. For if there was a place where the Spirit was not, then God would not be the great and absolute sovereign of heaven and earth. And somewhere there would be a place outside of his rule and reign. And and that means that somewhere there would be a place outside of his care and his love. But there is no such place. God through his spirit watches over us everywhere. And he cares for us. Everywhere. So, beloved, no matter where you are in this life, God the Spirit sees you and knows you. He sees your situation. He knows all about your needs. Others may not have a clue that you have one or other great need, but he knows. He sees and he cares. It's good to know that when we have That we have family and friends who also care. But in the end, no one else cares as much as God. And no one understands as well. And no one is able to do as much to help us. 
He's really the hiding place and the shelter of his people. Where can I go from your spirit? And the answer is nowhere. Because he is everywhere with his power and his presence. But then, beloved, if the Old Testament reveals God, the Holy Spirit, as the creator and the sustainer of all things, it also reveals God, the Spirit, empowering and equipping us. Consider, for example, in that first scripture passage that we read together in Exodus chapter 35, what it does is introduce us to Bezalel, the metal worker, and to Holiab, the cloth worker, as well as to others whose names are not mentioned. And both of these men, as well as the others that are mentioned, are given special tasks in connection with the construction of the tabernacle. And so what is noteworthy about all of this is the source, as well as the origin of their fantastic artistic skills. Where do those skills come from? Is it genetic? Is it because they have had a good teacher? Is it because they've gone to the right school? No, more than anything else, Scripture says it's because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 says about Bezalel, and it says about the others as well, that God has filled him with the Spirit of God. In other words, behind their wonderful craftsmanship, the Spirit of God equips them and endows them. And of course, as you read through the Old Testament, you begin to realize that these men are not alone in this. The book of Judges tells us the judges such as Othniel, Daniel, or Gideon, Jephthah, Samson were powerless and ineffective until such a time as the Spirit of God came upon them. And you know, much the same can be said about the kings of Israel. Think only of King Saul and how the Spirit was involved with him and with his reign. After Samuel had anointed him, Saul was told, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. And you will prophesy with the prophets. And you'll be changed into a different person. So what did the Spirit do for King Saul? The Spirit gave him all kinds of leadership qualities and gifts. Courage, boldness, foresight, commitment, wisdom. The Spirit made the first years of his reign a success. Of course, we know that the later years were not the same. As a matter of fact, we know that Saul's reign ultimately ended in disaster and in death. But that's not because the Spirit deserted him. No, it's because he abused the Spirit. Because he put out the fire of the Spirit. Because he ignored his guidance and leadership and direction. And you know, whenever that happens, 
Disaster strikes and it surely struck King Saul. But then, beloved, if the Spirit is active in the lives of craftsmen, judges, and kings, He's also active and alive and at work in the prophets. Consider Moses, the first great prophet. The Scripture tells us very clearly in Numbers 11 that the Spirit of God was upon him. And later, Micah, who may have been a minor prophet, makes the same claim when he says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. And Nehemiah, too, has some instructive words to say in this regard. First, he recounts all the gifts that the Lord has given to His people, and among them he mentions, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. And secondly, he recounts that by your spirit you admonish them through your prophets. You see, the spirit and the prophets work together. And indeed, the spirit endowed the prophets and enabled them to do their work. And often that work was done in the face of great opposition, great slander, and great suffering. But nevertheless, the Spirit was there, empowering, enabling, equipping God's servants. And indeed, we can say that the Spirit has been doing that ever since. Why you turn to the New Testament, beloved, and who is there empowering even our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ? And you turn to the apostles such as Paul and Peter, James and John, as well as others, and who is behind them? And you reflect on the lives and the work of many faithful missionaries, pastors, elders and deacons, and who is supplying them? Whenever God gives his church special offices, you can be sure that his expectations and demands are not unreasonable. For the Lord will supply abundantly what is required. Yes, and this applies not just to God's special servants. We can go wider than this and say with certainty that the Spirit equips all of God's people today. All who believe are called to be His servants. All who believe have been invested with the office of prophet, priest, and king. All who believe have been endowed with the Spirit. Pentecost has transformed the church from top to bottom from bottom to top. And the result is that we may, and we must look as well as pray to the Holy Spirit to give us the gifts and the abilities and the talents that we need in our life and work and service. Because you see, the Spirit is the greatest equipper 
of God's people. But then he's also something else. For a while, the Old Testament presents us with the Spirit as the Creator and the Equipper. There's one more dominant theme that we need to catch. It reminds us that the Spirit is also the Restorer and the Renewer of all things. If you want to see that clearly, you can turn, for example, to the book of Isaiah. And there you you meet a prophet who has, as it were, a dual calling to both reveal judgment to the nation of Israel as well as to bring comfort to the remnant of Judah. And that's precisely what he does in very eloquent and stark terms. We've read only a few verses of chapter 32. I read all of it. And you'll see that while it begins well, it it soon becomes a, a litany of complaint against the sins of the fool, the scoundrel, even the women who dwell in Jerusalem, as well as the prediction of doom for the fields and the land and the city. And in a sense, verse 14 sums it up with the words, The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. All in all, it's rather depressing stuff. But then, beloved, we come to verse 15. And suddenly, the entire scene changes. And then all of a sudden we're being told about deserts becoming fertile, about fields becoming forests, about justice and righteousness flourishing, about peace, security, and blessing springing up. In short, here we suddenly come face to face with a huge change. Glorious transition. A wonderful turnabout. And then we ask ourselves, who's responsible? Who's behind this great change of fortunes, this magnificent restoration work that is going on? And the answer, the answer very simply is in the beginning of verse 15. You almost miss it. Till... The Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Till the Spirit. So who's the great agent of great change? Who brings about these massive alterations? For look, they occur in the created order. Deserts blue. They occur in the moral order, justice returns. They occur in the social order, peace dominates. And Isaiah says, the spirit is behind all of it. Well, and if you think that that might be an exaggeration on his part, you do well to turn to, to Ezekiel 37, Joel chapter 2. And you'll be reminded of exactly the same thing. I ask you, who 
Who is unleashed upon that vast valley of dry bones that the prophet sees? And who makes all those bones come back to life? It's the Spirit. And who's the one who was poured out upon all people, young men, old men, maidens? It's the Spirit. And in a way, both of those prophecies point forward to the day of Pentecost. And especially Joel's words teach us that the coming of the Spirit will have universal implications for all people. All kinds of people will receive the Spirit. And in addition, Joel reminds us that the coming of the Spirit in the last days will have cosmic effect. It will impact the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and the earth. And finally, Joel teaches us that the coming of the Spirit will have amazing redeeming results. The salvation of the Lord will go out to all the ends of the earth. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you wonder how all of this is possible, then, beloved, look to Jesus Christ. For truly, thanks to the finished work of Christ, the other counselor comes to the church and to the world. Christ, after all, sends him. Christ sends him full of salvation. Christ sends him to teach everyone about him. Christ sends him to begin the great work of gathering together the nations and preparing the creation for the final restoration of all things. Truly the Holy Spirit acts, functions as the great restorer. There is no one else who does a restoration work like the Spirit does His work. And that means, beloved, that we today may live in hope and we may live in expectation. Oh, I know you you look at the weather news and it's filled with, at least it seems to be filled with hurricane after hurricane, earthquake after earthquake, and flood after flood. The same token, you look at the political news and it's filled with election campaigns and politicians promising us everything that we can't afford. And you look at the election news or the economic news and it's filled with the news of a plunging stock market, a stalled housing market and a credit crunch. And as well, you look at the entertainment news and it's more shows filled with sex and violence and more videos filled with vice and more books filled with senseless prattle. You know, it's sometimes hard to find hope anywhere in what looks like a pretty hopeless world. And yet, there is hope. There is hope for each of us who believe. There is hope for this covenant child just baptized. There's hope for parents and grandparents. 
There's hope for all of us. And why? Because the Spirit lives and the Spirit works. And one day, the fruit of His labors will be there for all to see in a new heaven and in a new earth. Thanks to the Old Testament, beloved, we are reminded that we have on our side the Creator Spirit, the empowering Spirit, and the restoring Spirit. What else then do we need? Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.